This week's parasha is parasha Bahaloscha. And I think naturally, when I was thinking, okay, what's in this week's parsha? I was like, okay, when you light the candles, I have to talk something about bringing light into the world, right? That would be a natural, a natural thing that we could do this week. However, as I was reading through the parsha, I was like, wait, I forgot. This is one of the most jam-packed parshas. Every aliyah has a different topic, something else that we can totally delve into. And today I want to focus on something in the second parak of this week's Parsha. In the second parak of this week's Parsha, I say that we like to deal with one of the first road bumps. It was not a challenge necessarily, but it was something that came up. And until this point, we don't often hear about, okay, everything is supposed to go this way. And we have this little detail that we need to work out. We don't often hear about a lot of the problem solving. Sometimes we hear about if B'nai Israel are attacked or we hear about if something goes horribly wrong, but understandably so, the Torah can't record every time someone wanted to start traveling at 10 o'clock, and instead we started traveling at 11 o'clock. But in this week's Parsha, there are a group of people who approach Moshe with a challenge they are facing. So in Bamidbar Parak Tet, we have Yedaber Hashem al Moshe b'Midbar Sinai b'Shnat Hashini l'Tzita me'Eretz Mitzrayim b'Chodesh Harishon le'Mor. Hashem appears to B'nai Yisrael in the first month, Chodesh Nisan, in the second year since they left from Eretz Mitzrayim, since they left from Egypt. And B'nai Yisrael gave the Karban Pesach in its appropriate time. When should this be that B'nai Yisrael should bring the Karban Pesach? It should be on the 14th day of this month, in the evening hours, according to all its laws and all of its rules, that's how you should bring the Karban Pesach. So Moshe gave over these instructions from Hashem to B'nai Israel. He said, you are going to bring the Karban Pesach. Remember, just two years ago, when we had that sort of miraculous leaving from Egypt, we brought this Karban. Yep, we're going to keep doing that every year. So it all went, went down without a Without a problem, B'nai Yisrael listened to Hashem. They brought the Karban Pesach on the 14th day of the first month, being Harbayim during the evening hours, following all the rules that Hashem gave them, they gave the Karban Pesach. However, we run into a little bit of a problem. It's as Vayhi and there were, which is in singular language, Anashim, there were people. So we are going to address why the singular language to clearly describe a group of people. One of the rules of the Karban Pesach is that if you are Tamilamit, if you have become impure because of contact with a dead body, you may not bring the Karban Pesach. By, um, and they came before Moshe and Aaron on that day. And these people said to Moshe and Aaron, We were Tamilamit. Why should we have to miss out on the opportunity to bring the Karban Pesach for this year? It happens to be if we were Tommy Lamid on this specific day, now we, have, we totally lose out on the opportunity to bring the Karban Pesach. Why should we lose out on this opportunity? 
Stand here and listen to what Hashem will command you. Hashem said to Moshe, saying, so if there is a person who is or who is who is very far away at the time when you are supposed to bring the carbon piece in the following month on on the 14th day of the month, during the evening hour, so exactly one month post the initial bringing of the Karman Pesach, he should do the Karman Pesach one month later. He should go all out. He should have Karman Pesach with Matz and Maror, just all a, week, a month later. He should not leave over from it until the morning. You may not break any of the bones. Exactly the way the Karban Pesach was brought the month before, that is how it should be brought now. However, Hashem says, lest you should think that if you're just not ready to bring the Karban Pesach on the initial Pesach, on the 14th day of Nisan, you say, you know what, I have a busy day today, it doesn't really work in my schedule, I'm not going to bring the Karban Pesach in this day. But you were not tame, and you were not at a far distance. This person should be cut off from B'nai Israel, they should receive Kari. If a convert lives among you, they also should give the Karman Pesach. The Ger and the Ezrach, the original resident of the Jewish people, everyone should bring in the same way the Karman Pesach at its original time. So this is the commandment of Pesach Sheni. And this is how it evolved. There was a group of people who originally were not able to give the Karban Pesach at the time it was meant to be given. So they approached Moshe and Aaron and said, what could we do? Moshe approaches Hashem and Hashem says, oh, a month later, we are going to give them a second chance. They are going to have Pesach Sheni. They are going to be able to remake this holiday one month later, give the Karban Pesach. It works for them and anyone who is at a very far distance. If the person simply didn't want to give the Karban Pesach on the original time, this is not a second chance for them. It doesn't just work as a catch-all. Anyone who didn't make it the first time can do it the second time. They receive curry. It's people who had a legitimate reason to not bring carbon Pesach the first time. They are able to make it up on Pesach Shini. So the first question I believe we have to ask before we get to what we're really going to ask, which is what's with this question? The first question we are going to ask is, who are these people? Like, why did they seem, before we even discuss whether they should have come to ask this question, whether it was appropriate to come ask this question, if they did it in a proper way, I want to just discuss who were these people? Like, what was their legitimate reason as to why they were tumming? So the Gemara Masachat Sukkah has a debate. And in this Gemara and Sukkah, we are talking about various things that interfere with doing a mitzvah. So it's Hatarid Patur Mina Mitzvot, someone who is, engrossed in something specific is putter from doing mitzvot. And then we get to the second topic, which is someone who is engaged in a in doing a mitzvah already is putter from another mitzvah. So something that comes up often is when it comes to women and mitzvot ase shazman grama, mitzvot and time bound positive commandments, we say that many women are engaged with raising children and 
that in and of itself is a mitzvah. And therefore, because they are engaged with time-bound obligations to raising their children, they are patr mina mitzvah. They are patr from other time-bound mitzvot that may arise. So the Gemara is saying, where do we learn this concept of ha'usik ba-mitzvah patr mina mitzvah? Ba'usik ba-mitzvah patr mina mitzvah mehachay nafka. Where do we learn this from? Mehatam nafka, we learn it from there. Ditanya, as it says, vayahi anashim asher hayutzmeim lenefesh adam v'gomer. It quotes our parsha, and it says, and there was a group of people who was tamei lamit, and it goes on to quote our story. Where, who were these people who came before Moshe and said they had missed the Karban Pesach? So Rabbi Yossi Aglili gives us the first explanation, and he said these were the people who were the Nosei Aaron Yosef. They were the people who, when they left from Egypt, they were the ones who carried the coffin of Yosef, that Yosef had been buried under the Nile River out of respect that he was the viceroy of Egypt. They did not want to allow his body out of Egypt. So at the time he was buried in Egypt and he asked that he be reinterned when they leave from Egypt. He asked that someone please take his bones and take them back to Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Yossi Aglili says, why were these people Tame Lamit? Because they had been the ones dealing with the body of Yosef. Rabbi Akiva says, Mishael ve'el tzafan hayu. No, this was not the Nosei Aaron Yosef. This was not the people who carried the coffin of Yosef. Rather, who were these people who approached Moshe? It was Mishael ve'el tzafan. Who were Mo- Mishael and el tzafan? They were the ones who had dealt with Shahayu oskin benadav avihu. That when Nadav and Avihu had tragically passed away during the Yemei Milu'im, during the days of constructing the Mishkan, during the day of celebration of the dedication of the Mishkan, they had passed away in the Kodesh Kedashim. Mishael and Al-Tzafan were the ones who had taken out their bodies, and therefore it was them who was Tamilamit, and they had come before Moshe and Aaron. Rabbi Yitzchak Omer, but Rabbi Yitzchak comes along with a third explanation, and he says, if no say Aaron, no shall Yosef hayu, if these were the people who carried the Aaron shall Yosef, the body of Yosef, this was already two years ago. They would have been able to be mitaher, unless you were saying that they were actively carrying the body of Yosef from each place they, ca- they traveled. But you can say, theoretically, if they were just the ones who had taken it out of Egypt, then they would have already been able to purify themselves. And if you say it was Mishael and El-Tafan, they also would have passed the necessary amount of time in order to become tahor. Ella, Rabbi Yitzchak, gives us a third explanation that he believes actually works within the chronology. And he says, oh, skip the meat mitzvah. There was a meat mitzvah. There was a body that had been found that nobody knew what had happened to this body. And therefore, it was considered a meat mitzvah that someone had to take responsibility and take care of this body because nobody knew what had happened. And their seventh day of their purification process fell out on Erev Pesach. They said, we are not able to bring the Karam Pesach on this day. Today, we're not able to do it. If you let us just squeeze it in and still bring it tomorrow, we'll be able to bring the Karam Pesach. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, this wasn't that they were dealing with a specific body that we can name. Rather, they were in general, they became responsible for a meat mitzvah. They couldn't avoid this. A meat mitzvah, you have a responsibility to take care of. This is the greatest chesed to bury a body. 
However, their final day of purification fell out on the same day on which they were meant to bring the Karban Pesach. So they were going to miss it by one day. And that's why they came before Moshe and they said, can't you do something about this? Like, why should we miss out on this opportunity by one half a day? Like, we just need to be able to become pure. We're going to become pure just a little bit too late. So this is the, the debate in the Gemara. And the Gemara is clearly saying that these people were tamilamit because they were engaged in some mitzvah, whether it was the body of Yosef, whether it was the bodies of Nazav and Avihu, or whether it was in general a meat mitzvah, they were clearly engaged in a mitzvah. This is important as the Orachayim expounds for our understanding of the rest of the episode, that they were tame because of a specific mitzvah that they had been engaged in. And the Orachayim explains further. He is jumping off of the fact that it uses singular language, vayehi anashim, that anashim is multiple, but vayehi is singular. So vayehi anashim v'gomer, tzarich lama amar lashon yachid al harabim? Why is it using a singular descriptive word for a plural group of people? And also, why do we have these extra words in which it says, after it tells us that they were tamed? The Torah is assuming that we remember everything, of course. So if the Torah already told us that someone who is tamilamit may not bring a carbon Pesach, why does it have to tell us, they were carbon, and they were unable to bring the carbon? Don't we already know that someone who is tame is unable to bring the carbon? Perhaps you would say that because Hashem commanded them from Rosh Chodesh about bringing the carbon Pesach, as it explains in Sachem Nisan, that when Hashem told them that they should bring the carbon Pesach, this was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It was um, it was incumbent upon them to be extra careful that they did not become tummy. So you may want to blame them and say they were not careful enough with the mitzvot Hashem. That Hashem said to you, in 14 days, you are going to bring the Karban Pesach. You better make sure that you are going to be Tahor at that point. So you must avoid Tuma like the plague. You must make sure that you will not become Tami Lami. So you might think that they carelessly became Tamei Lamit and weren't cognizant of the fact that they were going to have to bring the carbon Pesach. So it uses singular language to tell us that there was only one instance of this happening, that it's not like there was a multitude of people in B'nai Yisrael, that were Tami Lamed at this time. Rather, it was one specific instance, and that specific instance was for a mitzvah. They, against their will, become, became Tami because it was in a situation in which they were forced to become Tami Lamed. So now it quotes our Gemara, Ben Rabbi Yosi Haglili, Shamar Nosei Aronosha Yosef Hayu. So whether you're going with the opinion of Rabbi Yosef Haglili that it was the body of Yosef, Ben Rabbi Akiva, Ben Rabbi Yitzchak, Shamar Tzmei Mit Hayu Tzrichin Litamei Hagam Sheyad Usha Tumatam Nimshachat Ad Arba Asar. So they had to take responsibility for this meat mitzvah, even though they knew that it would go past the date they were meant to give the Karban Pesach. So 
they were not able to guard themselves sufficiently from this tuma so that they would be able to give them karma pesach. The amru bayom hahu kidvar shedat um chazal lomar kedato lomar kedato ote yirtzeb um beomru lashon yachid lomar ki letzad hayu yichidim who shaloyachul asot hapesach. These were the only individuals who were not able to give the karma pesach. Avalim hayu tibor hayu yichulim asot hapesach kibab betuma. Because it had it been more people, we do say that Tama Hutra Bitsibor, that when the entire group of people is Tame, then we allow you to do things that you would not typically be able to do if one was Tame. But it's saying, no, this was one specific instance. The rest of B'nai Israel was all super careful about not becoming Tame Lami. But it was these specific people who had fallen into a situation in which they were unable to prevent it, that they became Tame Lami. And therefore, we say they had a very legitimate reason. But what were they asking, right? If we look at this on a basic level, Hashem laid out the rules. Hashem says, you are going to give the karma pesach, you are going to do this. They did not fit into one of the criteria. We say to them, like, too bad. Like, who did they think they were to come and say, it's not fair that we are going to miss out on this mitzvah. So what I want to look a little bit is what were they really asking? And based on comparing and contrasting with a few other stories, I want to see if we're going to think that this is a little chutzpah of them. That yes, they were right in the end. We see that Hashem agreed with them, but should they have even asked this question? Like, should they really be saying, like, it's not fair that we missed out on the carbon pizza? We believe that Hashem created the world. Hashem creates all of the circumstances in the world. And therefore, Hashem knew that when he created the rule that people who are Tami Lami cannot bring the carbon pizza, that would effectively exclude certain people every single year. So was it right of them to come before Hashem and say, it's not fair that we're losing out. This is how Hashem created it. They have to accept it, that they fell into a specific circumstance. And therefore, this mitzvah, this time, it does not apply to them. So let's look a little bit at what this question was and how we can compare it to a few other episodes. So again, in Bamibar Paratet, We are tami lami, we are tami from a dead body. Lama nigara, why should we lose out? Why should we lose out from this opportunity to give the carbon pisach among all of B'nai Israel? And the Sforno comments here and says, We did a mitzvah, we became tummy because of something that we had to do that was a tremendous mitzvah, big chasad. Why does it seem like this is going to lead us to do an Avira? We see that simply choosing to not bring the Karbam Pesach is a, an Avira that is high of Karis. This is something that gives you the greatest punishment in Judaism, that you are going to be cut off from the Jewish people. So why does it seem like our choosing to engage in one mitzvah is leading us to the greatest Avira? So it seems like this is a pretty brazen question. Hashem, it's not fair. You created a situation that is not fair to us. It's not okay that we are going to lose out because of something that you seemingly obligated us to do on one side, and now we are losing out to do on the other side. But was this appropriate to ask? And in order to understand, I wanted to to compare it to two other instances in which we have requests made to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the first that I want to look at is what I would say is the opposite situation that happens. We have the story of Korach in in which Korach takes himself, Datan 
He, he, he gathers with himself a group of people. He brings with him not only Dasam Aviram, not only Om Ben Pelet, he also brings 250 additional men with him. These were all important people. He gathers them up. He really rallies the troops and he brings them before Moshe. So Korach comes before Moshe and Aaron and he says, Rav Lachem, you have taken too much. The entire nation is holy. Hashem is among them. Why are you taking everything from Kahal Hashem? Why are you in charge around here? Moshe heard his request and fell on his face. So he says we are going to do a test and in the morning we are going to see who Hashem truly chooses. So I think when we boil it down to the very basic elements of what we're seeing here, we have a very similar situation. That we have someone who had a problem and he came before Moshe and Aaron. He stated what his problem was and Moshe had to react. However, we see very opposite ends of what actually occurs. In our situation, we had the small group of people. They came before Moshe. They said, Lama Nigara, why should we lose out? We want to participate in this mitzvah that Hashem has given us. Moshe hears their complaints. He feels it. He says, I'm going to ask Hashem. He goes to Hashem and Hashem responds accordingly. Moshe responds to them and it turns out they were correct. We have the opposite, in essence, occur with Korach. Korach gathers up a tremendous amount of people. It's him. It's Dasan Vaviram. It's Ombam Pellet and 250 people. I don't know. I never heard of anything peaceful and good-natured happen when an angry mob of 250 people approach one or two leaders. doesn't seem like they were planning for a peaceful encounter. So Korach comes with this tremendous group of people. And instead of focusing on himself, Instead of saying, I, Moshe, I would love to do more for Kahal Hashem. I would love to be in a leadership position. I would love to participate in X, Y, and Z mitzvah. He says, you're taking too much. This is your problem. What makes you so holy? We're all holy. He automatically starts pointing fingers at other people. This is not self-focused. This is not Lama Nigara. This is not why should we lose out. This is you are taking away from us. This is pointing fingers at Moshe. And Moshe clearly senses a difference here. He falls on his face. He calls out to Hashem. And he responds and says, Hashem is going to have to do a test. This entire episode escalates so much more quickly. Our episode remains very, very peaceful. They come to Moshe. It is a legitimate complaint. Hashem brings it before Hashem. And the issue is resolved. With Korach, it is, is it, it is exacerbated, probably because the people who are come are so angry, and there's 250 of them. 250 people don't come to peacefully say, hi, excuse me, do you think we could play more of a role in Am Yisrael? 250 angry people came before Moshe to yell and scream that he has taken too much power. So we see that this ends up very, very differently. In the end of Bamidbar Parakitzayim, we see what ends up happening. This does not end peacefully. It ends about as angrily as it starts. The earth opens up, swallows up. So 
the ground opens up and swallows everyone and everything that was with Korach. So this is another instance that we see, okay, we can say they both had questions, but definitely in comparisons to Korach, we think ours was much more respectful. Even though we see that there may have been a little bit of chutzpah in coming before Hashem and saying, why do we lose out? Hashem created this, shouldn't we just respect that? But we say clearly the Torah is trying to show us a contrast between two situations. And the one of Korach so greatly outweighs, if we're going to weigh on a scale here of chutzpah, Korach so greatly outweighs our situation that we don't even think of ours on the chutzpah scale anymore. But I would like to compare it to another situation that I think it is very similar to that will help us understand a little bit more and refine a little bit more what we think of them asking this question. The other situation that I'm thinking of is the Benot Salafad. We are in Bamidbar Parachaf Zion. And in Bamidbar Parachaf Zion, they are dividing up the Nachalu, who is going to inherit which piece of Eretz Yisrael. We have the approach of the Benot Salafad. What are their names? Machla, Vinoah, Vichagla, Vimilka, Vitirza. So these five daughters of Tzalachad approach They come before Moshe and Elazar They come before Moshe and they come before Elazar in the opening of Ohal Moed. Avinu Mipa Midbar. Our father died in the desert. We promise he wasn't among the the group that went with Korach, he did die for a sin. Um, and he didn't have any sons. Why should our father lose out from having his name continued among his family? Please give us a chela. Please give us a portion of the nachala that our father was meant to receive. That if our father had sons, even if he died for a sin, Lama Yigara, why should he lose out? Simply because he doesn't have sons, he should lose out on having a Nachala in Eretz Yisrael. And it is very fascinating, depending on how you interpret what Tzalafchad's sin was. One of the opinion is that Tzalafchad was one of the Ma'apilim. That post the Chaita Miraglim, after the sin with the spies, there was a group of Jewish people that panicked and decided they were going to enter into Eretz Yisrael on their own. They were so committed, they realized they had sinned and they really wanted to enter into Eretz Yisrael, and they literally went running. That Moshe said, you're not going in, and they said, we are going to go in on our own, and they ran off the mountain trying to enter into Eretz Yisrael, and obviously they were killed off, and they were not successful. But if you understand Salafchad in this way, then his daughters are fighting for the most deep desire of their father, that their father was clearly the Ma'apilim, they did it in the improper way, but they had such a desire to enter into Eretz Yisrael, and therefore he really died because of his excessive passion for Eretz Yisrael. So his daughter is coming before Moshe and saying, our father was so passionate about Eretz Yisrael. Why is it fair that he should lose out just because he didn't have sons? We see Moshe respond very similarly to, to the way that he responds in our episode with Pesach Sheni. That Moshe says, oh, legitimate question. Let me take it before Hashem. Hashem said to Moshe, are correct. They are right. They should inherit the Nachala of their father. Now, 
We see the same situation here. Not only does Hashem answer the question and say, yes, these people are correct. Hashem teaches us a halakha for the generations that if someone does not have sons, their nachala may be passed down to their daughters. So it is the same as our situation that it seems like it's a little bit chutzpah also of benot to go before Hashem. Hashem clearly, if he wanted Salafcha to have sons, he would have given him sons. Salafcha did a sin. He died for a sin. Maybe this was exactly Hashem's plan. What right did they have to come before Hashem and say, Lamanigara, why should our father lose, lose out? And clearly these stories are meant to be paralleled with the same exact language of Lama Yigara, Lama Yigara. Whenever there is the exact same language, we are drawn to connect the stories. But it is clear that Moshe seems to view these totally different from the complaints of Korah. That with Korah, it automatically turns into fight mode. That we are going to do a challenge and Hashem is going to decide between us. He fell on his face. Here it seems to be that because of the way they came before him, Moshe responds completely differently. He responds by saying, let me bring this before Hashem. Hashem responds that they are correct. And Hashem teaches us a halacha for generations. So what is the difference here? What is the difference between Adat Korah and between Benot Salafchad and the, we're just going to call them the Pesach Sheni crew, because I don't know what else to call them. So in my notes, I refer to them as the Pesach Sheni crew. What is the difference between those two complaints that seem so peaceful? Why was it okay for them to come before Hashem? Why do we respond so nicely when it seems like they're also challenging Hashem? What is the big difference between the two? And there is a fascinating point in Likute Maharan, that, by Rabbi Nachman, that I believe introduces us to the midah that is used in both situations. There is one midah, and it's used improperly by Korah, and it is used for the most holiest of reasons by the Pesach Sheni crew and by the Salafad. So what is this midah? Kishim shemi shehu azut panim, ein lo Torah. We know that someone who is an azut panim, someone who is stubborn or bold or brazen, he has no portion in Torah. When Hashem gave the Torah, he wanted to give it to a thousand generations. But Hashem saw that the world might not last that long. So he, he gave it to 26 generations. What was the problem with the door of Shal Noach? That the, the world only lasted until that point. They were Azepanim. They were those that were stubborn. They were bold. They were brazen. They were, they were very oppositional. Those who are stubborn are not included in Kabbalah Satora. Kihim, um, um, they were from the Dorot. So someone who has this mida of azot, who has this mida of stubbornness, does not have a chilek in Torah. And he'll probably think back and recognize, I probably inherited this trait from my great, 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 great grandparents. They were probably not at Harsinai because they were probably like this as well. And as we said, someone who has this azot, someone who has this stubbornness, does not have a place in Torah. Kimokin, misha hu ish shafel v'nivzeh, v'emo shum azot de kedusha, 
But we see in the opposite direction, someone who has no boldness, someone who has no stubbornness, someone who doesn't have any element of brazenness, but he says specifically, Azas de Kedusha, who doesn't have this Mita in a holy way, also does not have a Chilek in Torah. The Torah was given to B'nai Israel because they are stubborn. We must cultivate this midah of azas de kedusha, a holy stubbornness, or if you saw what I named this year, a holy chutzpah. In Perkei Avos, it tells us we should be as kanamer, we should be stubborn like a leopard. Through this holy brazenness, we receive strength to continue on in this holy brazenness from Hashem. That when we are stubborn in our service of Hashem, when we have this azas to kedusha, we have this stubbornness in persevering in serving Hashem, Hashem will respond in kind and give us further strength to continue on in this brazen way. When we inspire ourselves, when we awaken ourselves with this midah of azas to kedusha, we, we inspire ourselves internally. We then have the strength to refrain and to hold ourselves back from all that are trying to deter us. And we use this internal strength, this internal stubbornness. Through doing this, we give further strength to Hashem. When we do this, Hashem responds in kind, and He inspires from us from above. He gives us increased strength. He gives us increased power to continue on with this stubbornness. Hashem gives us the continued strength to fight the increasingly strong stubbornness of the Satan, that the Satan is very stubborn in trying to deter us. I remember always thinking that when I was little, that the Satan is so strong. Every single year on Erev, on Erev Rosh Hashanah tries to do the same thing, even though we stop blowing the shofar, try to confuse him. He comes back every single year to try to fight against us. I remember thinking that the Satan was so stubborn that he kept trying to get us down, even though we continually fight against him. If we don't have any of this holy stubbornness, we will never be able to persevere in our Avodah A person has no part in Torah if he doesn't have this Azaz de Kedusha. So I think that the mitzvah, the, the mitzvah that we learn from here is this mitzvah of Azaz de Kedusha, holy stubbornness. That I think stubbornness can go both directions. We see, and stubbornness is defined, this word Azaz is defined as both brazenness, boldness and stubbornness that I think when it came to Korah, 
He was applying this in the negative sense that he was bold. He was brazen. He was just out there to fight, to cause trouble, to cause a problem with Moshe. He comes to Moshe. He comes very boldly and he says, you're taking too much. You have too much power. What makes you so special? He's clearly bold, but without the element of Kedusha. But what we see from the Pesach Shani crew and what we see from the Benot Zalachad is Azus de Kedusha. That they were willing to be bold. They were willing to step out a little bit, to be a little bit stubborn, to fight for their ability to serve Hashem. That they recognized something that they believed they could do better, they could do more. But they had to be a little challenging. They had to be a little stubborn. They had to be a little bold. But because they balanced it out with Kedusha, this was for a holy reason. And therefore, they focus on themselves in their requests. Lama Yigara, why should we lose out? They're polite about it but bold at the same time. It's this element of Azus to Kedusha that Rabbi Nachman says is what allows us to persevere on through the generations. The Satan is so strong. The Satan is constantly trying to get us down that if we don't have a little bit of this holy chutzpah, a little bit of this holy stubbornness, we're never going to be able to persevere. I was listening to a podcast that I am a big fan of. It's called Healthful Women. Highly recommended. It goes through interesting topics in women's health. And there was a woman who was featured on the podcast who was talking about multiple autoimmune diseases that she has and the challenges that are presented in terms of her being able to start a family. And the doctor said to her, you have not one, but two extremely dangerous autoimmune conditions. What? And it, it ends up being a happy story. She ended up having two healthy children, but she had to go to multiple doctors before she was able to get the red, the, the green light from someone who said, I, I think it's perfectly fine for you to be able to have a child. And the doctor said to her, because the doctor who runs the podcast was the, do- the doctor that helped her have children. And the doctor said to her, like, what made you seek out that second opinion? Like, if someone says to you, this could possibly be a risk to your life, this can possibly be detrimental, I don't know about this, I don't feel so comfortable. What made you feel like you had to go on and find that second opinion? And find more doctors who could support you. Like what gave you that strength? And she said, when I was growing up, my parents always told me I was stubborn. She said, I don't think they were saying it as quite quite a compliment. She said, I was a pretty difficult teenager. Then in my years where I wasn't mature, I used to use this stubbornness in the incorrect way. That I used to fight back, I used to dig in, I used to be so oppositional. But she said that I believe that once I matured and once I was faced with real life challenges, it was this same stubbornness that fueled me on my journey to fight to have children. That she said it was the same stubbornness that I wasn't willing to back down from one person who didn't believe in me. I was going to use that same strength, as I would like to call it, that same Azaz to Kedusha. I was willing to use it to keep fighting forward, to persevere, to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in life. In Orcho Sadikim, which is a sefer that's written, each sefer, each chapter focuses on a different midah. In Orcho Sadikim, the fourth chapter is Sha'ar Ha'azas. This is the chapter that focuses specifically on stubbornness. Ha'azas hi midah garua beruf seha. This midah of stubbornness is a terrible midah. Vihi hefach mi midah tabusha. It is the opposite of being um, of the midah of busha, of modesty. Someone who is modest, someone who is, um, I'm losing the English word for it. Um, someone who has shame, someone who has, um, 
anyone could feel free to pipe in with a good word here. Humility. Humility. Thank you. <laughs> Someone who has this mida of humility. Ma'aviral midosav does isn't strong in his ways, is willing to back down. has pity and is willing to be kind to people. Someone who is so stubborn will never back down from another person. He will stand strong against any person. He will do anything bad and he will he won't be humble about it. He won't have shame about it. Rather, he will end up just persevering forward. He will end up running into Aviros. His face was stronger than a rock. The children were strong of heart. They were, they were impossibly strong. He is very clear. Anything positive that I have told you about humility, the opposite of true is true of someone who is stubborn. When a person is able to strengthen himself in this mitzvah, he is going to embarrass himself. Even if he's wise, he's going to end up being disgraced. So much bad comes from this mida of azas. Um, he will never back down from a fight and from hatred and from jealousy. Like he just ends up, because of this stubbornness, he ends up engaging in so many negative character traits. He sees anything as simply a minor, minor roadblock on his way to accomplishing whatever he wants to accomplish. However, later on in the chapter, just a few paragraphs later, However, when someone is able to harness this mida and channel it into his Hashem, when he is able to be stubborn and stand up against the evil ones, and he is able to be stubbornly against them, that he will not be influenced by negative people, he won't be influenced by their negative influences, he will not follow after them, rather he is stubborn in his mission to accomplish the mitzvot, there are people who will try to deter him. He has to have the strength to stay strong in what he believes in. He has to remain strong and he has to rebuke others. He has to have the wherewithal to go against other people, to stand up to them and rebuke them for their negative ways. But it takes a certain strength of character to be able to really turn other people around. So in general, we see that this mita of Azus can be very negative, like what we see with Korach. The Korach was just there for the fight, and he was going to stay strong, he was going to come, he was going to challenge Moshe, he was not going to back down. He eventually ends up being swallowed up by the earth, there's nothing else to do with him. He's so stubborn in going against Moshe, nothing was going to deter him. But when it comes to the Pesach Sheni crew, and when it comes to Benot Zalafchad, they had this Azus to Kedusha. That they saw what they wanted to accomplish in their Avodah Hashem. And yes, there was a little bit of chutzpah here. 
it's a little bit chutzpah to go to Moshe and say, it's not fair that we're losing out from this mitzvah. But they did it with Kedusha. They did it for a holy purpose. And for this, they are praised. For this, not only are they allowed to engage in the mitzvah, whether it was the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, which is so integral to being part of the Jewish people, or whether it is the mitzvah of Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael, which was so important to their father, we not only allow them to do it, but we learn a halacha for generations only because they were willing to have this little bit of chutzpah. Chazal say that in the time before Mashiach comes, chutzpah will be rampant. That the Ger Rebbe, the Chidushe Harim, explained that this means that the power of chutzpah will increase, whether it is used for evil or whether it is used for good. Thus, just as a person could easily come into an evil form of audacity, but just as easy today as it is to be audacious about anything you like, it is possible to dig in and be stubborn and bold about anything in the world today. So too, we could easily come into a good form of chutzpah to perform the commandments of God with holy pride. This is because God does not bring a test without giving the possibility to stand up against the test. Because God made everything measure for measure. That we see this in our world today, that the power of chutzpah is so strong. You speak to people and people are writing things on social media. People are saying things in public that we never in our lives would have dreamed it would have been a normal thing to say. The anti-Semitism, the things that people are willing to allow come out of their mouth in public is audacious. But what the Gera Rebbe says is that Hashem creates everything midah for midah. That Hashem creates everything measure for measure. That for everything Hashem created, there is also a counterpart. So Hashem said that before Mashiach, this power of chutzpah, this audacity is going to grow and grow in strength. But that also means that our ability to have this azas to kedusha, to nurture this holy chutzpah, this holy audacity to strengthen ourselves and believe in ourselves enough to stand strong in what we believe in, that power is strengthened as well. That although may people, people may be saying the most and doing the most audacious things, we also have the ability to be even more stubborn, to be even more audacious in pursuing what is correct. That when we see someone say something completely outlandish, we are able to fight back for the good. That both strengths, that both sides are strengthened during this time. And Amir Hashem, this crazy level of audacity that we are seeing in the world today should be an indication that we are coming close to the times of Mashiach. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us in Parak Bet, Someone who is a like an ignoramus does not um, fear from sin. Someone who is an amaharat who doesn't know much can never become a chassid, can become someone who's very scrupulous. Someone who is humble will never learn. Someone who is too stubborn will not be able to teach. Someone who engages in too much business will never become wise. And in a place where there is no man, you should strive to be a man. And the Bartanura on the on Perkeabo's comments here, why does it say someone who is too humble, someone who is too shameful, will not, um, will not be able to teach, will not be able to learn? Someone who is too embarrassed, someone who is too timid to ask for what they really don't understand, to ask for clarification, they're never going to end up learning. When you don't have that boldness, that brazenness to be able to truly question, to ask for what you're wondering, 
You're just going to remain in Sveiko. You're not going to be able to learn new things if you're not willing to challenge a little bit, if you're not willing to be a little bit bold. To ask that question that you think is a little bit challenging, you're never going to be able to grow. Adam Grant, who is a he writes books about psychology, modern ideas in interacting interactions between people. Adam Grant, in his new book, in his newest book, I forgot to mark down, I believe it's called The Things We Do Not Know. Adam Grant explains in the third chapter this concept of confident humility. That he said in today's world, we have to make sure that we are constantly balancing, and he doesn't write it this way, but the mida of Baishana, this mida of humility with this idea of confidence, that we have to have a certain confidence to push ourselves beyond just remaining humble, remaining timid, not pushing ourselves. He says we have to confidently push out of our humility. Then if we don't push with a little bit of confidence slightly beyond what we think where we should be, beyond where we are right now, then we are never going to grow. I wanna end off with an idea of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Rabbi Nachman, who we talked about in Likute Maharan, who had the extensive piece on this Azaz to Kedusha, he taught that Azaz to Kedusha, holy boldness, is necessary to be able to pray or study Torah because courage and daring are required for us to push through the barriers to draw closer to God. This I found to be profound. What right do we, as human beings, have to push closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Hashem is so great. Hashem is the master of the universe. I'm a little nothing. What right do I have to say, I'm going to daven. I'm going to do mitzvot. I'm going to grow closer to Hashem because I believe that I should be closer to Hashem than I am right now. If we only had humility, we would think we're nothing. Who are we to be closer to Hashem? But Rami Nachman says it's this azaz to kedusha. It's this holy drive that we have. It's this holy stubbornness that says, no, I'm worthy. I'm worthy to grow closer to Hashem. I need to push myself. I'm able to be closer to Hashem. Hashem wants me to be there. I'm confident that Hashem wants me to be closer to him, and therefore I'm going to push further. So this lesson that we can learn from our Pesach Shani crew, and in a few parshio from the Benot Tzlachad, is fostering this mita of Azaz to Gedusha. That we would be able to take this holy stubbornness, this holy chutzpah that I can speak for myself. Many of us have a little bit of stubbornness ingrained in us and learn how to harness it to push further in our Avodah Hashem, to push further, to grow further, to grow closer to Hashem. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining today. If you have any questions,